Noise is recording in progress. Three, two, one. Welcome everybody to another episode of No Conditions. I am here with Dr. Jeff Appel, who is the brother of my podcasting husband, Mr. Steve Appel. And I have to tell you, I'm also on his Live Well show, which airs every single Wednesday. We talk about everything from mental health. I don't talk about the mental health, but he does. And I just kind of come in and answer the questions. So welcome, Jeff. I appreciate you coming in and hanging out with me. Pleasure to be here with you, Monica. Happy to be on your show for a change. I know. I'm the boss. Which I is know. Gonna, I'm going to follow your, uh, your lead, but uh, you've done such a great job for me on my show. I'm, I've decided to return the favor with absolutely. There you go. I have to be honest with you. I'm kind of a dum-dum. So this is going to be a really easy show. Like this is, I am not a good boss whenever it comes to Steve is usually the one that like kind of veers us in the right direction, but yeah. So, but anyway, for anybody that doesn't know the reason why you are called Dr. Jeff, go ahead and tell everybody your credentials and what you do and kind of plug and promote first everybody or tell everybody what you do. Okay, for sure. Well, let's see. Um, I am a licensed psychologist, Monica. I've been licensed since 1992. No, 1998. Excuse me. I'm also a marriage and family therapist, and that's the license that I've had since 1992. So I've been in the mental health field for um, 30 years as of this year. And I've also been in the education field as a credentialed teacher and professor. I've taught in, in the K through 12 system um, in several different schools, teaching both uh, math. And then also I have a psychology background as well. As I said, in the, in the K through 12, I've taught psychology in, in high school, which is really interesting too. Um, yeah, there are high schools that have regular psychology and AP psychology classes, getting them ready for, for college, which is interesting. Um, and what else? Let's see. Um, I am a certified parenting instructor through a program called active parenting, which, uh, you can go to activeparenting.com and you can find a lot of very useful tips and information on there. I am also a, what's called certified one love, um, leader, a, the one love organization is an organization that is dedicated to preventing violent and abusive relationships among teenage and college age students. So it's a really wonderful organization and you can find that on joinonelove.org. So those are two of the programs that I am with and I'm a parent of uh, two kids as well, 26 and 22 years old and have been married for 31 years to a lovely woman who is a social worker. So she doesn't practice anymore, but she was a social worker for, for quite a while um, back in our early days. <laughs> so that's some of my history right there. Fantastic. Well, you know, I, um, we, we do podcasts together. You know, you are the host of uh, Dr. Jeff Livewell with Dr. Jeff Appel on Facebook live every Wednesday. And, uh, I have to say that what I love most is you and your brother are so opposite yet so 
so this is kind of the example that I give. If we're ever in a war, I want, Steve is like the guy that comes out, you know, guns blazing. He's going to rip into everybody. Like, you, you know, he kind of reminds me of the movie, The Replacements, where, you know, Gene Hackman looks at the guy and he's like, I want that football. And Steve's like, I'm going to go get you that football. And he goes and gets the football. And then you afterwards are like, I'm going to build a, you know, a city. We're going to have rules and everything is going to be calm. Like you want him to just tear crap up and then you're going to come in and smooth it all out and build like democracy and, and all these beautiful things. And that's how, that's the difference in, in you guys. I just love it. And you're saying he's going to mess it up and I'm going to fix it. No, I'm well, just kidding. He, he's going to, what he's going to do is you don't really, at, at that point, you don't really care how he messes it up just as long as we win. And then you're going to come in and right. you're going to fix it. And you're going to be like, okay, so now that, you know, we need the tornado in order to rebuild. And that's kind of, that's kind of what I think of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to strategize a little bit more too. And yeah, build cities. Uh-huh. All these. Yeah. I think be like, can... this is the war that we have. We have to fight it. <laughs> this is the soldier and I'm going to sit back and I'm going to build it. I'm going to be the president afterwards. This is what's going to happen. <laughs> I think you've got a pretty good take. Wow. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I love him to death. Shout out to Mr. Steve Appel. You are amazing and we love you, but we are going to probably talk about you. So that's right. When I had, uh, when I told a few people that you were going to be on your credentials, what you do, one of the number one questions that I got asked was, is PTSD and, you know, dealing with children, especially teenagers, you know, is there, they're, they're kind of getting a, a thing of um, pushback where, you know, some of these parents are trying to talk to, um, you know, their teachers and saying, I believe that there is PTSD with my child due to the quarantine, due to the pandemic. And I think something is going on with them. And they're, they're kind of getting a pushback from that saying, well, you know, they were, we tried to make it as normal as possible, but and it wasn't really quite normal. So do you have any like strategy that they can use or anything that you can kind of give your opinion on, especially being a parent and also, you know, being a psychologist? Yeah, I mean, for sure. And let me, that first point of, is PTSD a real thing? Because there are doubters out there and there are those of like, just, you know, get over it and move on. But the answer is that PTSD is, is a real thing, no matter how you slice it. PTSD is real. Um, I teach about it in my college classes. Um, I have graduate psychology classes at Cal University and undergraduate psychology classes at Channel Islands and Cal State Northridge. And in my abnormal psychology classes, I teach about PTSD, what it is, how people get it, and the different forms of it. And one of the things that we know for certain is that PTSD is underdiagnosed because people don't want to put the label on themselves that they've been traumatized. But one of the biggest things that I'm seeing in the Caneo Valley right now, outside of the pandemic, pandemic aside, is PTSD diagnoses from childhood abuse, from alcohol and drug abuse in families. And this Monica goes on and on from the people that I'm seeing. I, it, it's hard for me to even believe how many clients we have right now at my agency, uh, which I will plug on your show right now, if you don't mind. Um, Absolutely, go for it. 
Oh, I think we froze a little bit. Oh, am I back? You You're uh, back. Great. Ohana Healthcare is located in Thousand Oaks. Uh-oh, my internet connection's unstable, Monica. I'm just letting you know. That's uh, okay. So you lose me, let me know. But mm -hmm. Ohana Healthcare in Thousand Oaks is 805-373-1222. And we do low fee counseling services as low as $10 and up to $50, depending on affordability. We're on a sliding scale. We have wonderful clinicians who I supervise. And we do a lot of trauma work for clients. Uh, we've done client work with um, a past abuse, um, assaults, all sorts of different things. So if you're struggling and you're hearing the show and you want to get some really low cost counseling, give us a call at 805-373-1222, Ohana Healthcare. Uh, but again, post-traumatic stress is extremely real. Regarding the pandemic and students, post-traumatic stress is real. Now, whether I would diagnose a student with PTSD depends on what they come in with. But what we're seeing is a tremendous amount of isolation, loneliness, video game playing, addiction to uh, the internet and video games and things like that. And kids have been thrown off their routine to such a great degree that there is a new sense of normalcy that has to be reinstilled once this pandemic is under control. And I know kids that even went back to school today that were afraid to do so. And their parents were afraid to send them back to school because what are all the things that have been put into place? So, you know, do kids have PTSD because of everything that's going on? Some of them might. Um, but it could also just be a step under PTSD where it still could be diagnosable anxiety. So there's a lot that we're going to have to sort out here. And this could be put into the new psych, into the psychology books in 10 or 20 years. We're, we're going to see it written into the DSM-5, which is the coding for disorders. And we're going to see it in the psychology books. And uh, it's only going to be a it's going to be a test of time to see kind of what this does to us in the future. Time will tell us kind of where this all goes. And that's kind of, I mean, the way that I look at it, you know, I was just, I was having this conversation with my husband the other day. Can you imagine if we would have had this 30 years ago, 40 years ago with no internet? I mean, look at, we, we basically give our child a, the world in their hands, you know, and we spent all this time, get your homework done. Then you can, you can be online for, you know, you can chat with your friends, play Minecraft, do whatever it is. Like it was kind of this, you know, it was a reward for you to do it. Then when the quarantine came, we were like, we need you to be on these devices that we've been telling you to not be on for the past five years. So in our day, when they didn't have it, I mean, listen, Jeff, when we lost our power about five years ago for probably four hours and there was no internet, there was no nothing, we were about ready to eat drywall. Like we, you know, I was ready to hit the car and go somewhere because it was four hours too long of like, you don't realize how bad that addiction is. And I'm 40 years old. So I can't imagine a kid when their mind is going a hundred miles an hour and they, they almost crave it. So for me to be addicted to it and for them to be addicted to it, I can't fathom. So if we would have gone through this 40 years ago, I can't imagine what would have happened. 
but you can only play marbles for so long and eat your mom's meatloaf. Like that's all that you can do. Well, let me throw two things at you with kind of what you're saying here. First of all, we know that kids' brains are not fully developed until they're really between the ages of 21 and 25. So we know that kids in their frontal lobe, which controls emotion and judgment, isn't fully formed when they're in middle school and high school. So they don't think about what's going to happen if I do this. And one of the things that I work with kids and teenagers on, especially the ones with ADHD, is to think about what is going to happen if I make this choice. And so with all of these things that are being thrown at them, it is a whirlwind. And here's the second one for you, which I, I researched and found fascinating. There's been some research done on the cell phone. And I talked about this on my own show. But one of the things that we found is that when your cell phone is in your pocket and it vibrates, there is actually a chemical now that is released in the brain after 30 seconds, which causes anxiety. So if you don't check your cell phone within 30 seconds, it actually creates a level of anxiety in us as humans. And that is increased in teenagers because of their frontal lobes. So everything that's coming at them now, it's been so easy for them with the pandemic where they've been virtual learners. They can check their phones anytime they want. They can be multitasking and not have their cameras on because it's not mandated, be on their phones and learn. And we know of course that that's going to impact their learning. Now they're going back to school and things are getting regulated and they're going to be told, put your phone away, put your phone away, which I believe in. We have to get back to normal, but getting back to normal isn't so easy for any of us, let alone these 12, 13, 14 year old kids that have to manage this, this world. And here's one more for you, which I found fascinating. Um, I think you know this because I mentioned on my show, but my, my daughter, who's 26, teaches um, transitional kindergarten, which are kids that are four and five years old. A lot of these kids that are coming in now to her classroom, they've never seen a world without masks. They don't, they don't understand a world without masks. So when they meet these people that are unmasked, it's actually more anxiety provoking for them than people with masks. Talk about a turnaround. For them, Halloween is the norm. And the other 364 days are more anxiety provoking because they're not used to going in and seeing people unmasked. It's really going to be phenomenal to see where this all takes us. Oh, they're going to be writing this in history books. And then we're going to have to be learning about it. I think that, you know, listen, if TikTok, you know, you, you know me and my TikTok, I am completely addicted to it at my age. I talk about it. I love it. And I don't make any uh, excuses for it. I really don't care. I have no life, um, especially now with the quarantine. I can do whatever I want. But um, as far as the kids are concerned, the hardest thing for me, I think, is the fact that there is an anxiety over being social. You know, I was talking to my girlfriend the other day and her her child, which they live they live out of the area, um, has no intention of no, uh, uh, push to go get his license. He doesn't want to go get his driver's license. And I said, 
I, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. And she goes, well, he doesn't want to. And I said, well, that was, and she goes, Monica, that's not the only way for them to be social though. They're social on social media. They're, they can FaceTime, they have Snap, they have all these things. Like that was one of your rites of passage of being 16 was to go and get your license. Everybody, there was such an influx of kids. There was a line of them. And now kids don't want to do it. They're like, nah, I don't, my mom can drive me or I don't have to leave my dungeon of a room. And to me, that's, it's like, I'm fighting it and fighting it. But then, like she said, she goes, that's the new norm. That's like, like when somebody gets their license, it's weird, you know? I, yeah, I'm seeing that more and more with the teenagers that I've been working with. When I turned 16, the day I turned 16, I was at the DMV getting my license. There, oh. there was a question about it. And my wife actually was not permitted to get her license by her parents until she was 18. And she was angry about that. She still she still jokes with them about that a little bit. But boy, was she mad. I won't use the word traumatized, but she was angry about that. And everybody got licensed at 16, you know, back in the 70s and 80s. Now you're right. These kids don't have an urgency. Now, some still do. Some I've seen, you know, they want to get that license when they turn 16 because they want to be, maybe it's they want to be in charge of their friends and have the, have, be, be the king of the castle, so to speak, and be able to drive everybody around. But there's others who don't care. They're social in other ways. And it's just doesn't carry the urgency um, that it used to carry. I, I agree with you. It's, well, it's, their standards are also high too. You know, it's, I don't want to drive because I don't want to drive a clunker. Listen, I had a Plymouth Reliant. I could not wait when I turned 16 to drive that car, even though every time I made a right-hand turn, the horn would honk. Like I did not care. The ceiling was falling in. It looked like it had gone yeah. through Chernobyl. Yeah. I was had a 68 awful. Chevy Malibu. Oh. That was in 78. So it wasn't that old, but it was still 10 years old. Uh -huh. And uh, it was pretty close to a clunker as yeah. well, I would say. You drove whatever you were given to drive. And now, yeah, but not all kids are that way. I've seen some teenagers that like, you know, will drive whatever you put them into. And for us, and I'm one of these, but I know a lot of parents who are like, I, I only want my kid to drive this because of safety reasons. So, you know, we, we bought, both of my kids got Camrys when they were, you know, when they turned 16 and they weren't like clunkers and, but they weren't like brand new either, but they were, they were nice because we, we wanted the best in terms of like safety for them. Um, I, still had, I think gum smashed into the bottom from whenever I was, cause it was a hand-me-down from my mom. She's like, here, take this. When the horn honks, you'll meet new people. And then you could probably survive an apocalypse with whatever is under the seat, you know, dig for change for your gas. I'm sure there's some in the seat as well. You'll be fine. There was an ashtray. <laughs> yeah. They don't even come with that anymore. You may do. You may do with what you have. There's no exactly. doubt. So when working with kids, well, uh, teenagers, how many times have you looked at those kids and been like, if I was your parent, so help me that we would be having a different conversation right now. Is that hard for you? I mean, you know, that's a, it's a great question because as I've gotten more experienced as a therapist, and I know you, you know, me probably as the gentle, sweet, 
soft appeal of the family. Yes. Um, but I do have a directness to me that my clients sometimes experience. And with some, t- I'm not like Steve Appel direct, but <laughs> I do have a, a, a directness to me with some of my clients um, that can be straightforward with the teenagers. But, but sometimes if I was a parent, yes, it's possible that I might handle it differently. But I have said to clients before, like, what are you doing? And why are you doing this? This makes absolutely no sense. And it's not to your benefit. So you need to rethink this. Really? have done that before with clients. A lot of people think that therapy is all about like, oh, it's just going to be nice, nice. And we're going to support them and love them. And we're going to make them feel good and make them feel happy. That's not what it's all about. With some teenagers, I have said directly, as young as I've done it with the kids as young as seven, eight years old, I've said, you need to realize that the way that you're talking to your mom isn't going to work. This isn't the best approach. Let's try something new. Now, raising your kids, though, did you feel like you had a leg up, especially with your wife's background and yours? I mean, did you? Great question. I've Great. always wanted to know, like, did you okay. feel like like you kind of got behind, you know, the screen with the wizard and be able to, you know, this is how we handle it instead of like me where I walk in. I'm like, mm, I don't know what to do. Two things about that. I would say one. Yes, I had a leg up because of my education and my knowledge and where I was coming from. But two, I had to be careful not to have a leg down. And I believe that I did this very well without trying to sound egotistical, because I think the worst thing a psychologist can do is try to start analyzing their children and play therapist to their kids. I think that that really causes a danger. And so one of the things that I try to do as a therapist and as a parent is I just try to be who I am. And so as a therapist, I'm not looking at you going, hmm, tell me how you feel about that. And as a parent, I'm not going, hmm, tell me how you feel about that. I try to be the same person in both rooms as a therapist, whether it's to my clients or to my kids, I kind of am who I am. And I think, yes, I have guidelines to follow that are different with clients than with kids. But for the most part, I kind of am who I am and it's worked well for me. And the funny thing is in my family, like the nieces and nephews have always sort of at dinner conversations come to me for like advice and for, you know, we have conversations, but we, but I don't try to do that through like, you know, tell me about your problems. It's more about just having conversations about life. And then that's sort of brought them out to ask me other questions about their own friendships and relationships and things like that. I think that's pretty normal too. I mean, we have a buddy of ours who is a nurse in the ER and I always feel bad when we go out to dinner because if, if you have something wrong, it's always like, you know, I got this pain in my shoulder and I checked on WebMD and it, it might be cancer. Could you look at it real quick? You know, <laughs> Since you're here, I just want to ask dessert. you. Before yeah. Dessert, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite. And that also too, well, you've had 30 years experience in this. You've been with your wife. So does it kind of feel that way with marriage as well? Like, have you ever kind of used those tools in your marriage as well? Or we both use them. I mean, one thing that I found that I think is the most important thing for a marriage with one, somebody that's in mental health or two people that are mental health is not to think that you're better than the other person or you're smarter than the other person. People match up 
because maybe they're opposites on the outside, but they are who they are of equality on the inside. So you find like, whether it's dysfunctionality or functionality, and this is something I talk to my clients about, you find the person that fits you. And if you don't, then the relationship doesn't work. So going in thinking that I'm going to like fix her or make her better than she is, or, you know, that I'm the person who's better in the relationship and she causes the problems isn't going to work. And what I found is that we have good communication because we both have good communication skills. And there's times where I'm wrong and there's times where she's wrong and we communicate openly about it. But I do think that our mental health background definitely helps us. And I'll give you one quick example of this. Monica, and that was that somebody brought up to us that they were shocked by the way that we use, I use this word. And they were like, I never thought of this word, but it's such a good word. And it like revolutionized their way of thinking because I use the word all the time with my clients and my family. I use the word boundaries. I was like, you just have to look at your boundaries. And he was like, I've never thought of that word before. And I was telling my wife about it. And we were both like, oh my God, like that's just so simple because it's just who we are as people and how we're raised in our field to think that way. But I know that not everybody does because they're not in our fields, but we're both in mental health. So it does, I, I think it's a benefit to both of us, yes. And see, I think too, well, you learned, I, I learned it a lot, especially dealing with my clients, especially ones that were having to, you know, when we were in lockdown, you didn't realize being in a relationship with somebody, you know, I think you, you shouldn't marry somebody unless you can handle a lockdown with them. I think if that, that should be the number one thing, like you're, you're going to be forced in your home with your family for a very long period of time. And you need to make sure that, you know, you, you don't want to put, you know, slivered glass in their food whenever you feed them or you know, I mean, there's a lot of things, but I think well, that was one thing that, you know, you saw people who have been married for 20 some odd years. And then all of a sudden they're like, we're getting a divorce. We're done. We've had it, you know, and it was because they were shoved together to basically survive together. And or when they got together, they got together through what I call wildness mm -hmm. and they got together through these fun, like alcoholic or drug infested times, or, you know, they got together through these, they were young and, and they were partying and it was fun and wild but after a while, real life takes over and it doesn't become so fun and wild anymore. And it's not a fit. And for me, the one key word about everything in life, marriage, jobs, everything is a three letter word that means everything to me. And it's fit, F-I-T. And it's a really simple word. And you have to ask yourself, do you guys fit? Do you still fit? And if you don't fit, then you have to work to make yourselves fit like puzzle pieces. And if you do, the relationship will be good. Yeah. I, I had a girlfriend one time that broke up with a guy cause he wore flip-flops. So I can't imagine what it would be like. You know? That's an interesting standard. <laughs> I know. It did not fit for her. Yeah, but I just, I fit. think that, I think that's, you know, I will have to say, I never used to give it a, a moment's thought. I never used to, you know, I think when you, when the words mental health came into the picture, it was always, well, that deals with somebody else that doesn't necessarily deal with me. And that, you know, I, I'll never have to worry about that because I mean, everybody in my family is crazy, but 
you know, we just, we, we have our own little level of crazy. And then I became a parent and, you know, realizing that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to tell your child, you know what, you're having a bad day. It's okay. It's all right. You don't have to be, you know, the ones that tell the most jokes, the ones that are the funniest. Sometimes those are the ones that are trying to project that onto you to make you feel better. And they're absorbing your negativity and dealing with their own. And the only thing they want to do is make you happy because in turn, it makes them happy. So it's, it's, it was really hard being a parent and learning that, you know, like in my family, we just didn't have time for it. There was no time to say, tell me what's wrong or why didn't this work out for you? Or let's, let's try and work this together. It was like, you know what? We don't retreat. We reload, get back up there and do it again. And sometimes I think that works. And then other times I think it kind of, I don't think that that's a good fit. I don't think that that works. No, I think, I definitely think it's important for your kids to, to not think, you know, to, to realize that we might have emotions too, that we feel happy or sad. We don't have to be perfect all the time. And in my psychology parenting class that I teach in Northridge, I tell my students that my most important degree is not the PhD or the MFT you know, or the PPS, it's a six letter degree that I got called the P-A-R-E-N-T degree. And that's taught me more than any other degree ever possibly could. But I mean, I think we're all just trying to do the best that we can and make the best lives for our kids. And I think 99% of parents have good intentions. There are 1% of parents that don't, but 99% of parents have good intentions and we make mistakes and we just have to realize what those are and and work to fix them and uh i'm going to advertise myself if you don't mind before we no please log off for any of your listeners that are looking for therapy um that are looking for licensed therapists uh myself i'm still taking on clients virtually um so i'll give an email and a phone if that's okay absolutely please do so please feel free to email me at j l appel like apple A-P-P-E-L-L-04 at gmail.com. That's J-L-A-P-P-E-L-L-04 A-P-P-E-L-L-04 at gmail.com. Or you can call for an appointment as well and leave a message at 818-219-8752. That's 818-219-8752. I do a lot of work with um, people with teenagers and um, college age students, as well as young adults about anxiety, depression, trauma, uh, drug and alcohol abuse, and family and marriage and couple related issues. Yeah. And especially in times that we are right now, I bet you they're, it's definitely on the rise for sure. <laughs> I think that, um, so one other question I wanted to ask, one of, uh, one of the gals wanted me to ask, is there any tools that you can think of that they can use, which, I kind of gave my opinion on it whenever it came to kids. I think sitting down at dinner time, no electronics, no anything, kind of an open table, you know, to sit and discuss. These kids are getting more and more secretive. They're getting more and more kind of into themselves. Do you have any thoughts or any recommendations that they can use in order to bring them out, so to speak, to or kind of give them a a little branch? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of that is going to depend on the type of child that you have. If you have a child that's non-communicative and just doesn't want to share or doesn't want to talk, there's two things you can do. One is that I I love the line 
if you need anything, I'm here. I think that that's a really important line. Just offering the branch to the child and saying, if you need anything, I'm here. But the second thing is, and I'm, I've been doing this with my clients recently and with my, my interns, I supervise um, graduate interns who are, who are training to work with, um, with clients. And one of the things I say is just um, do writing. Writing and drawing is really good for kids. And those that are not verbal, that don't want to share, can often do it through writing and drawing. And then you can just ask them, you know, what is that? And then they just start to, you'd be amazed how much they start to share. And I think one of the things parents try to do is they try to get to it quickly and directly because they don't have patience to be to, to go slow and to let your child come out to you. So I would really highly encourage you as a parent to be patient and to, to let your child come out with it in their own way and in their own method. And that could be through drawing games. You know, there's that saying, the family that prays together stays together. I love the saying, the family that plays together stays together. So I know you play games with your family. We play games with our family. And sometimes through games, children will just talk. You know, I do something in therapy where I play cards or checkers or chess. And while I'm shuffling, kids chat, they talk, you know, in between the checkers game or in between moves, I might just say, so anything this week that you want to let me know? And they'll be like, no. And I'll be like, okay, your move. And then they'll move and we'll do a few more moves. And I'll say, so how's everything at home? And they'll say, it's okay. And then they'll share a little bit through moves. Boys like to talk more through action. Go out and shoot baskets with them. They'll start talking. Go out and throw a baseball with them. They'll chat a little bit. Just say, how was your day at school? You do it when they get home, they walk in. That's what every parent does. How was your day? You're going to get fine because they don't want to talk right then and there. They just had a full day at school. Go out and shoot a basket with kids. Go out and shoot baskets with kids. Throw a ball with kids. My kid liked to skate. So yeah, I roller skate. I rollerbladed a little bit. <laughs> uh, but throwing a baseball, you know, stuff like that, they'll talk. It might take you a hundred throws. It might take you five days, but they'll start to talk. Girls, they do it, you know, through different ways, sometimes through athletics, if that's what they are, or sometimes through hanging out. It's just different. Boys tend to be, the research has shown that boys tend to talk a little bit more when they're active. So it could be jogging, you know, anything that gets them to talk a little bit more. Now, were you raised this way? I mean, do you kind of, is this the kind of the same, because you're from a big family and do you take like little, little seeds that you had whenever you were growing up in order to, or was this all taught or, cause it was a different time. I mean, with my mom, I mean, my mom didn't have time. I remember one time somebody said, uh, we were walking through the grocery store and she says, your kids are so well-behaved, you know? And she's like, yeah. And they go, well, what, what did you, what did you bribe them with? And she's like, I told them if they didn't mind, they were going to die. And we knew like, we, we knew the look. And on the knee, she would squeeze our knee and we'd know life was going to get bad very quickly. Like, you know, we had yeah. about five seconds to pull it in. It and if we didn't, it was a, different uh, time. a lot of parents were a lot more authoritarian back then. Kind of like if you've seen the show Wonder Years, I, I think of Jack Arnold a lot in terms of like back in 60s parenting and all that stuff. And he, he was a good dad. 
But at the same time, I mean, he was rough around the edges in a lot of ways. And I think that we've grown and some parents are too permissive these days, but I look to try to teach parents how to be what we call, um, it, it, it's called authoritative parenting. It's kind of a middle ground parenting that's between authoritarian and permissive. So you're firm, but you're not removed. And so, you know, I was raised in a fairly large family with three brothers and two parents. And, um, you know, we had some conversations here and there, but it was a little different, I think, than today's times. We had a lot of dinner conversations. So my, my mom would make meals and we'd have a lot of dinner conversations. Um, but more than, other than that, it, there wasn't too much in terms of communication conversation. So that was the focus of our conversations and family. So I think carving time out other than meal time, I think is important. And there is a program I believe in very strongly for anybody who's interested. You can buy the book for $15. It's called Active Parenting. You can go to activeparenting.com. There's another advertisement for you. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> Find a great, uh, easy to read two-day book. It's written for parents, not for college people, not for like college professors or anything like that, but uh, activeparenting.com. And uh, you can find active parenting for kids between the ages of two to 12 or 13 to 19. They have two different sets of books. And uh, I use it to teach in my psychology parenting. And it's a wonderful, wonderful program out of Atlanta, Georgia, activeparenting.com. With, with my parents, with my mom, you know, she'd always used to, whenever my daughter was born, she told me one time, she said, the best advice that I can give you is you don't want to clip their wings where they can't fly. She goes, but at the same time, you want to teach them rude and interesting are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to make it to where you, I, I never wanted it to where whenever we went out somewhere and showed up to somebody's house, they literally went, oh God, the Rossmans are here, you know, hide the important stuff, the expensive stuff, because their daughter is going to be like a bull in a China shop, you know, that kind of thing. I never wanted that. And so I remember going to her and saying, I, I, I don't know what to do. And she's like, you, you know, you, you got to be in the middle, middle of the road. You know, we were never afraid of my dad. My dad was the nicest guy ever. He was, you know, he was kind of, you know, he, he, he was kind of a hostage himself, but I mean, with my mom, we were terrified of her. So, you know, we knew, we, we knew she meant, she meant business and she loved to go toe to toe. She would have been great in war. Like her and Steve could go out together. And then my dad and you can, could build up these cities <laughs> after, after it's all said and done. So, but yeah, but I think that's just, uh, I think that's just the way that it is a different time, different place, different everything. So, well, I cannot begin to thank you for coming on and hanging with me. This has been awesome. I appreciate it. Go ahead. And, uh, I want you to plug and promote your show, everything, anything that you can possibly think of. If somebody's fast forwarding through or they just didn't get a chance to listen to it, go ahead and let everyone know. Been my pleasure to be with you today, Monica. I appreciate it. Um, we do live well, as you know, on Facebook and Clubhouse, I think. Um, and that's uh, on Wednesdays um, for the time being. We'll see kind of what that looks like. That may get shifted, but you can still always find it on, on Facebook, Live Well with Dr. Jeff Appel. And uh, of course, with Steve Appel and Monica Rossman as well. Much appreciated. 
And then uh, again, for low cost counseling, uh, for anybody who you know that may need some low cost counseling, we have four wonderful people that are still in school, but they're supervised by me. And they are excellent, excellent therapists at Ohana Health in Thousand Oaks. Uh, the number is 805-373-1222, 805-373-1222. If you want licensed therapy with myself, please feel free to give me a call at area code 818-219-8752. And that's J-L-A-P-P-E-L-L-04 at gmail.com. I do accept some insurances as partial payment, of course, that would be more expensive than Ohana Health, where we have reduced prices if you need that for affordability issues, and you still can get excellent treatment through Ohana as well. Well, I think that that's fantastic, and I think everybody should take advantage of it. There is nothing wrong with therapy. I think that everybody should, at least once in their life, give it a go, and you never know. And I know that I learn a lot from you every single Wednesday. Usually I'm the dum-dum that's like, what are we talking about today? You're like, we're going to do this. Most of the people who have been sitting in my chair were sitting in as a therapy client one time in their life as well. And Mm -hmm. it's often why we become therapists because we've been through, you know, our own share of issues and we want to give back to people the knowledge and the personal experiences that we've gotten. And sometimes it's just tweaking a little bit, isn't it? It's just kind of like giving them that one tool that they might possibly need in order to unlock a door that they hadn't been known that that they just, it's kind of like a rearranging a little bit, isn't it? Yeah. I have some clients who only come like four times and they're done. And I've had other clients who've come for a year. So, you know, it, it varies and it all depends. And, you know, you don't have to be utterly traumatized or suicidally depressed you know, or panic attack, anxious to be going to therapy. I mean, if you have those issues, then it's a good idea to be going to therapy. And many of those clients who I have that are, are really, you know, in mental health trouble will, you know, sometimes get on medication to help them deal with the things that are going on. But I have other clients who just need what I'll call a a tweak or a twang, you know, or a twist, you know, and have come four to six times and they get what they need and then they're done. And maybe they come back five years later, you know, it just varies for everyone. Has any of them ever called you out while you're on vacation? Like a, what about Bob situation? Have you ever had them? They're like, doc, (laughs) I did something wrong. I ended up going to, you know, Rodeo drive Okay. At night. <laughs> Monica, let's not give anybody any ideas for goodness sake. <laughs> I really don't want to have a what about Bob situation. I do absolutely love the movie. Very funny. Well, uh, you don't have to worry about it with me because I don't even like to go get my mail. So I will <laughs> never, ever show up ever on your vacation. However, I do know, I have some friends that tell me, they're like, I called my therapist and they were on vacation. Like, well, yeah, if you're listening to your dumpster fire for the past six months, I'm so, you need to pay for them to go somewhere. It's well, I just took a one week vacation last week. We didn't go anywhere, but I took a I took my week off. It's usually between Christmas and New Year. Mm-hmm. And none of my clients called. So didn't happen. With, you, thank goodness. You went absolutely nowhere. You stayed at home. We went nowhere. I stayed at home. 
I binged shows. Um, I cleaned up. I uh, just hung out and had a what are they, a staycation. Yeah, oh, that sounds. It was nice. Amazing. I would, l- and I got Netflix back, so Squid Games is going to be going on this weekend, and I'm oh, going to wow. let you know. No, I'm going to let you know. Squid Games is awesome. I was told if I can't get into it within the first 15 minutes, then I'll never get into it. So we'll see. Uh, half hour, half hour. Half hour? Yeah. yeah. And the other one that's a lot of fun, because I know the kind of shows you like, Colony. Somebody else told me about that. Colony is good. Yeah. My husband's addicted to Lost in Space. Oh that God, it's an old show. Danger, oh, Will Robinson. Danger. Yeah, no, Lost in Space. I liked it, but mm. yeah, I'm not a big fan. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on. Everybody, if you guys get an opportunity, I want you guys to head over on Facebook. I want you to give Dr. Jeff Live Well with Dr. Jeff Appel a like and share it. That way you guys never miss out on another episode ever again. Once you listen to the first one, you're going to sit there and go, this is exactly what I need on my lunch break. I'm going to sit and listen to him. He has great conversations. He has great ideas. And sometimes it just needs a little tool in order to help you feel better about different things. That's all that it takes. So don't forget to go over, give it a like, give it a listen. There's a ton of episodes in the bank to where you guys can enjoy and they're all labeled so that way you can look and skim through and see what works and what doesn't. So, and also you get to listen to me. I'll be, I'll be doing the break with you. So This is Monica with No Conditions. I want to thank Dr. Jeff Appel for coming on with me. I want to say hi to Mr. Steve because I know he's going to be listening. Don't forget, you guys can find us on Spotify, Anchor, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. If you guys have any questions, concerns, or comments, you guys feel free to go ahead and email me at noconditions2020 at gmail.com. Don't forget to give a little like on the bottom so you guys never miss out on another episode of No Conditions ever again. Mr., I thank you so much. Everybody, I appreciate you. Love you. Be kind to one another. And we will see you soon.